This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success podcast. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today we have a very influential man in the uh, cancer community. We have Doug Ullman with us. Doug, how you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, excited for you to be uh, with us. And uh, you and I had a conference call. You probably don't remember this, but probably about 10 years ago, I uh, cold called you uh, back uh, when you were at your previous charity, uh, Livestrong. And I said, man, we've got to connect. And we were just starting our Swing for Hope charity for cancer, my wife and I's foundation. And you were kind enough to give me some time back then. And, uh, and now you're kind enough to give me some time again today. So, man, I really appreciate you being here. But Excited for our listeners to really hear what you've done and how you've uh, been successful in your life and how you've taken, you know, small charities and made them into these big, huge, uh, influential things in the world, really. So why don't you just take our listeners back a little bit of uh, who you are and what's made Doug the man he is today? Well, sure. Happy to do that. I mean, first, thanks again for the opportunity. I, I uh, am so fortunate to have, have been able to do what I love every day for the last 20 years. And it all really started when I was diagnosed with cancer as a sort of college sophomore. And as you and your family knows all too well, you know, this disease can, can come into your life at a time when you, when you least expect it, and it can change your, your perspective and your outlook, and, and ultimately can lead to some really positive things. But, uh, but that's really how my, my journey started. I, I was raised in a family that really talked a lot about service and a lot about giving back and, and always had sort of this mantra, which was, if, if you saw a need in society, you know, don't wait for somebody else to, to do something about it. You should act. And so when I was diagnosed with cancer, I immediately started to think about what, what I could do to help others who might be diagnosed in the future. And that led to starting a, a, a nonprofit focused on young adults with cancer and then ultimately led to uh, an opportunity to work in uh, Austin at Livestrong for many, many years and then now here in Columbus, Ohio at, at Pelotonia. And again, I, I can't say enough how fortunate and humbled I am to, to be a part of so many communities of people who um, are really trying to change the world for others. Yeah, well, you're doing an amazing job. And so I want to go back to that uh, email you got from Lance Armstrong in 1997. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that and how that, what, how that even happened and then and what kind of happened from there? Yeah, I mean, it, was, uh, it, it definitely had a huge impact on my life. I mean, I, it was 1997, so it's hard for any of us to really remember that you know, in 1997, email was not something that you carried with you in your pocket. And it was something right. that you did, you know, once a week, maybe. Um, and so uh, technology was new at that time. And, and really uh, sitting in my dorm room one night in college and got an email from, from Lance Armstrong. And, you know, at the time, he basically said, look, I, I read a story about 
your situation and your your diagnosis and what you're doing with your organization. And he said, you know, I will, uh, I will, uh, you know, he said, I think we have a lot in common. He said, I was diagnosed uh, within the last year and I started a foundation as well. And, you know, he said, we're both athletes and we should stay in touch. And we really started writing back and forth to each other for a number of years, uh, just on email every week or two. And um, that's what ultimately led me to uh, move to Austin and work with, with Lance and so many other amazing people uh back in 2001 and that that's before i'm using air quotes here that's before he was lance armstrong right before he was winning all the races and doing all that stuff yeah 1997 was before he uh returned to professional cycling um and so in 1997 i mean i vaguely you know had heard about a cyclist who had had been diagnosed with cancer but i didn't follow the sport didn't really know much much else about uh his story or or uh or his journey but uh but yeah so this this was pre uh pre tour de france uh fame that's awesome so so walk us through that because then that takes what what i've read doing my research of what was called a a smaller struggling charity to a 500 million dollar global brand so talk to us about that like how does that happen right because it doesn't just happen overnight and you mentioned it earlier great people you had to have a great team Walk us through what it was like to build a team and to build an organization and then what that's led into today where you're at uh, with Pelotonia. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I moved to Austin, the, the, what was then known as the Lance Armstrong Foundation was doing some really cool things. And it was, it was very young, um, relatively small, although they had assembled a great uh, board and a great group of donors. And, and they, I think most importantly, they had really big aspirations. And I think that's what really drove much of the success in those early years was that we had uh, a board and donors who wanted to do big things and they thought really on a grand scale. Um, and so we were able to recruit some really talented people. And, and I'm a huge believer that you, you've got to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you are. Um, and, uh, and we were able to do that. And, uh, and then we were able to build and build, uh, programs that touched a lot of people's lives. And, and obviously as Lance's, uh, visibility grew, um, more and more opportunities, uh, became available to us, uh, in terms of partnerships and program development and, and obviously fundraising to, to support all of that. So, um, it was, uh, it was a fast paced, um, uh, growth cycle. And, uh, again, sort of a, in many respects, a once in a lifetime, uh, opportunity. And so what were your, uh, kind of your mental mindset? That's something I'm a big fan of talking about with people and, and especially successful people like yourself. I mean, what was it that kept you going every single day? What was your motivation, your inspiration? Obviously, you had your story. Um, but what were some of the, the daily habits that you committed to in your life to be successful? Yeah, you know, I think obviously the, in, the, the, the personal motivation of, of being a cancer survivor drove um, a, a, a lot of it. But I think there are a couple other key things. One is, um, that we were seeing results and we were seeing the impact on people's lives. And I think to me, that's one of the greatest motivators for anyone. If you see the, the fruits of your labor, um, it's really easy to get up early and stay up late and, and, and continue to push forward. Um, I think another big thing personally for me is has always been uh, physical activity and exercise. Uh, you know, in my mind, if you don't take care of yourself, it's really hard to lead and it's really hard to be a part of a a high functioning team. Um, so, you know, getting up early and exercising and, and, and staying physically fit has always been uh, a habit or a ritual that for me is, uh, is non-negotiable in terms of my schedule. Yep. Um, 
And then, you know, again, I, I think par- partially influenced by um, by people that, that were involved in the organization, and we see the same here at Pelotonia, you know, I have a fervor, fervent belief that anything is possible. And I think oftentimes uh, because of uh, constraints, uh, either financial or otherwise, sometimes organizations don't have the ability to think big enough. Um, and they don't try things that may seem impossible or may seem naive or audacious. And, you know, I believe that we should always be pushing to try new things and always be pushing to do things that may seem uh, unachievable. And I think that drove a lot of the growth, and, and I've seen that in spades here at Pelotonia. We've got a, a board and a community and a team that really thinks that anything is possible, and they're willing to try uh, new techniques, new ideas, and be creative to, to see what we can achieve. And that's an exciting environment to work in. Absolutely, that is. Very, very inspiring, isn't it? So what would you tell the listener right now that's driving and saying, yeah, but you don't get my situation or that's not the way I work? I mean, what advice would you give somebody that, that's struggling with how to think big? And I, I think, too, it's not only do you have to think big, but you also have to believe big, right? you got to believe it yeah. can be done. And so how would you tell people that they need to get better at that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. I think a lot of people um, on a daily basis are forced with uh, uh, are faced with a lot of challenges and a lot of barriers, and it's easy to to find yourself questioning what's possible. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why trying to surround yourself with others who are optimistic, upbeat, and 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 share a desire to do big things is really important. Um, you know, again, I think a lot of it comes down to the team. I mean, none of us can achieve. Uh, uh, most most great things on our own. Um, we need people around us who not only believe in us, but who we believe in them, and that can collaborate to to make things happen. So um, you also don't have to do it all on day one. You know, you you've got to be able to see the long term vision, but but also have the ability to work towards um, you know that that ultimate impact. You know, I, I believe that surrounding yourself with people who believe in you and that you believe in them is key to achieving big things. And the reality is you don't have to do it all on day one. Um, but as long as you're making progress towards something bigger and something that you uh, believe in, you know, I think every step of the way is is, is an inspiration and, and, a, and a step closer to achieving something uh, that you might not have thought was was possible. Yeah, one one of the things too I'm always curious about with guys like you because you guys are doing great work, and we'll talk a little bit in a, in a little bit your big event you got in August. But so key relationships, right? You you have to go out and develop key relationships in your world of raising money for cancer to try to change that world. And so so take it from that standpoint, or take it from the the man or woman in sales that has to develop key relationships, whatever you know, kind of service they're in, what would you recommend to people to help continually build those recommendations? I mean, I have my own thoughts and beliefs that you got to be doing it for the right reasons, obviously, but any insight you can share there? Well, I think, I mean, our work in the philanthropic community, just like in many businesses, I mean, it, it all comes down to relationships. Um, and, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's what that's what it's all about. And for us, many times it's about listening and it's about trying to understand someone else's motivation and passion and then trying to align what you're doing with their their beliefs and, and, and their passion. And I think that in my experience, you know, people in this world are so good natured and want to do great things for others. And it's really just about trying to provide a platform for people to do that. And so, 
um, relationship building takes time and it can't be transactional and it can't be um, sort of surface level. I mean, if you want to build a relationship with somebody over time, especially in a philanthropic, uh, in the philanthropic arena, you know, it, it's going to be over the course of months and years. And uh, you have to be patient and you have to be willing uh, to, to engage at a really deep level over a long period of time. So what, uh, if I had to ask you, what's that one thing that you believe in to your core? Like that a lot of people may disagree with, but nobody can take you off that belief, right? You believe this. What is that? What's that one thing Doug Oman believes in? Man, that's tough because I have so many. But, I, I mean, I think it's probably a close <laughs> call. It's probably, it's probably a tie between this, this, this idea that I really, really, down to the core, believe that anything is possible. Anything. And... And sometimes that can be detrimental because you can spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about things that, that maybe aren't top priority. But I honestly believe that anything is possible. And I think the second, the second one is just a core belief that people are incredibly, incredibly kind and generous. And, and as humans, um, we want to make the world a better place for others. And I think those two things coupled together um, are what drives me every day. So I have to ask you that. And so anything is possible. Who comes up with the idea? And, and you obviously can't see me right now, but I am wearing uh, since 2003, I believe. I bought this in Tennessee, this, this yellow thing. It's on my wrist. You may know what I'm talking about. Uh, you guys think anything is possible. I've got a Live Strong bracelet on right now. And you guys go what, sell like 80 million of these for $1. How the heck does that happen to where you anything is possible? I'm going to go back to that theme, right? And then all of a sudden you come up with this crazy idea of something that people are going to wear around their wrist. And now I wear three different colors for my mother-in-law, my dad, and my father-in-law in that order that have been diagnosed with cancer. That's why we do what we do. And I still wear these things. Every child has been born in them. And people probably still look at me like, why are you still wearing that yellow bracelet? There's yep. How the heck did you come up with that bracelet idea? Well, first, first, let me say I, I've I've got mine on here as well. So um, I like I've had it. it on for the for the same same length of time, and and it's very meaningful uh, for many reasons. You know, I think it's a great example where, and I've said this before, I actually didn't think it was a good idea, and many people didn't think <laughs> it was a good idea. However, we were willing to try because some people did. And, and I think that's the, that's the key is that we were willing to try. And if we had failed, no one would have known. We wouldn't be talking about it. And it would have been old news. And I think sometimes people are afraid to fail. And there's nothing wrong with testing and trying and experimenting as long as you learn from that, that journey. And so if we hadn't if we hadn't developed a culture where we were willing to try things and willing to think outside the box, we probably never would have pursued the idea when, when Nike presented it. And so I think one of my takeaways from that, that experience is just that, that, that you've sometimes got to be willing to be outside your comfort zone and try something, even when you think it, it's not a good idea, and lo and behold, it might turn out okay. Yeah, that, that kind of worked for you guys a little bit, right? <laughs> And you think the spinoff effect of that, right? I mean, we, we stole shamelessly the idea that here we are, I've got you know, the one live strong and two swing for hope bracelets. So you think of the impact not only did it had on, on, on your world at that time, but what it's done for so many other people. So congrats Absolutely. on making that happen and leading that organization. Now, a lot of people, they want to talk about all their successes, right? And so we've all had struggles in our life, whether it's work or, or medical related. What recommendations would you have for people that, you know, how do you battle through the everyday struggle? of maybe I don't want to get up and go work out or maybe I, gosh, I don't want to go make that presentation or whatever it may be. How do you, how do you battle through that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. So everyone's going to have massive challenges in their life, whether they're personal or professional, um, and that's just the reality of, of the world we live in. And, and I think as, as cliche as it sounds, it's, it's how you respond, and it's how you uh, approach those challenges that will ultimately define your happiness and, and, and your level of engagement. And so, again, I, I just tend to be a really optimistic person, and I grew up in a household that, that fostered a belief that anything was possible. And so, you know, when I see hardship, um, I, I really most frequently see it as opportunity. Um, and it doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean it, it's not hard. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt uh, to go through those things. Um, but I try to look ahead and I try to see uh, what's beyond. And, uh, and so, you know, again, it, it may sound, you know, like, like cliche, but uh, the reality is that, that I'd, I'd always believe that I'd rather be optimistic uh, and sometimes be wrong than be pessimistic and be right. And that's yeah. just the way I, I choose to live. So how do you define success today in your world? <laughs> well, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I think for many years, success was solely based on, in my mind, solely based on how many people's lives we could impact and we could touch. And that continues to be at the forefront in terms of our work at Pelotonia and beyond. Uh, however, I would tell you that, you know, having uh, two young kids now um, has really uh influence my life in, in dramatic ways that other parents will totally understand, but that, you know, I probably didn't understand uh, prior to having kids. And so uh, for me, ensuring that I'm instilling the values that are of importance uh, to my wife and I and our children, I think is, is got to be number one. Um, and, and part of that is exposing them to Pelotonia and exposing them to the needs in their community and sort of what we can do as a family to, to, to help and serve. And so um, I think that's, that's, that's first and a close second is uh, the work we're doing at Pelotonia, which really the impact is all about how many lives we can, we can save and, and lives that we can impact. So I'm a, I'll be vulnerable. Maybe you can be vulnerable with me here. And so you, you, we were talking about this before, right? It's crazy. You go do your stuff all day long, and then it's like, oh, yeah, now i got to check the 400 emails, or i got to do this, i got to do that. And then you go home, and you get these two beautiful kids and, and your wife and all the things that go on. How do, you, how do you turn it off, right? So a lot of us successful dads, we'll talk about that. How do you go home at whatever time you go home and shut it down and, and be engaged with the family Yet, you know, in your mind, you've got some big deals going on in your head. How do you do that? Yeah, it's hard. It's a great question. It's very challenging, and I, I don't proclaim to be, you know, the best in the world at that. I, I'll tell you one thing I started doing recently, which, again, is challenging given the time constraints. But one of the things I've tried to do is I've tried to spend uh, at least 15 minutes every day with each of my kids, literally just either talking to them, laying on the floor with them, doing something without any electronics and without any distraction. Um, and, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot of time, but someone told me, you know, look, 15 minutes a day of undivided conversation, communication, not riding bikes together, not playing a game, not sort of watching a show, not sitting next to each other at dinner, but just one-on-one -on -one, uh, engagement. And it's the, on the days when I'm able to do that, when, you know, before school, after school, before work, after work, you know, it, it makes a huge difference. The other thing I try to do is when I'm driving home from work, I used to do as many phone calls as I could in the car. And then I would immediately walk into the house and I, 
I just couldn't disconnect. And so now on the way home, I try to not do any calls in the five or 10 minutes before I get home. So I can just sort of either listen to music or something on the radio and, and, and just sort of not uh, be in full work mode when I walk in the door because uh, I think it's, it's a distraction that, that isn't, uh, yep. isn't respectful for the family. I think I'm going to steal that uh, car ride home deal. Cause how many times do I come home and I, I'm pulling in the driveway and kids, I got four boys, are running at my car, right? And I'm trying to finish up a call. So Exactly. And you're right. That's what I was doing. You're getting exactly. into, yeah, you're getting out of the car and right into dad mode, and it is. And in that 15-minute time, my wife and I, we try to do that with the kids, and it's tough, right, with all the sports and stuff. Sure. But isn't it amazing how much easier bedtime is when that happens, right? They're not getting back out of bed asking for the water. Totally. Whatever it is they do, it's, totally. it's amazing. So no, I appreciate you sharing tonight, that. Tonight, I mean, I mean, tonight I'm going to go home. My wife's got to go out to an event, and I'm going to take our kids to get pizza and, and then put them to bed. And it'll be an incredible two hours. And, you know, once they're in bed, I'll probably go and do an hour's worth of email and work. <laughs> but those right. two hours of, of having pizza and, and, and putting them to bed and reading them stories, I mean, you can't beat that. No. It, it'll be the hardest part of your day, but the best part of your day, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what's your uh, what's your morning routine look like? You get, I mean, what's the first thing you think of when you get up in the morning? You know, your eyes open. Are you an alarm guy or no alarm? Well, it depends. Typically... I, I do set an alarm, but I, I don't typically need it, and, and it doesn't typically go off. Um, but I start I, I, I start my days at uh, at four thirty, um, and uh, I spend about eight to ten minutes scanning emails and social media, uh, and then I'm usually on my way to to the gym and and do a class or something at the gym at five, and uh, and then I'm home at. 6.15 and showered and dressed before my kids get up and then I try to have breakfast with my kids uh, for at least 15 or 20 minutes before I before I take off for work. And what's an avid athlete like you? What's the what's the training look like? You doing you biking or are you, uh, what, what are you doing? It depends. In the summer, I, I try to ride one or two mornings a week, although it's, you know, if it's light out, I'm more likely to ride uh, or I'm running or I'm going to a, you know, some sort of training class or, you know, I, I like to mix it up. I'm, I get bored easily. So, uh, I've always got to be doing different things. What uh, so if you look right now at your life, what are you what are you passionate about that you just you wish you had more time to do? You know, I think it really revolves around the kids. I mean, I, I would like really just spending more time with the kids and and volunteering at their schools and just sort of being able to have a bit of flexibility in terms of um, watching them grow uh, on a daily basis. I think would be the the one thing that I'm at this point in my life, eager to, to carve out time for and, and figure out how to, how to best uh, make that a reality. All right, so I'm going to walk through quickly the circuit of success here. And so um, I'll ask you the word, and you just kind of tell me what comes to mind. So when you hear the word attitude, what comes to mind? Positive. I like it. Belief. What do you got to believe in to your core? You've been around some of the world's most amazing people, whether it's athletes and or people in the medical world, business world. I mean, what do you find the common theme between yourself and them that they believe in more than the average person? I think the drive to win and the drive to succeed is something that, that athletes in particular know better than anyone. And, uh, and I think if used properly, that can be really powerful. The activities. What are the activities you find bring out the best in people? I think being around people. 
I mean, I think engaging mm. with people, listening to people, smiling, you know, you know, talking to people, um, I think that's what brings optimism and hope. And I think when we become isolated and we are on our own, sort of at our desk or wherever we might be, that's when, you know, the, the, the negative thoughts tend to, tend to creep in. Okay, I like those. Those are great answers. So when you think about the, the fear, are, do you, are you driven by fear? Or do you think about fear much? You know, I don't. Failure. I, I, okay. I don't think about it that much, to be honest, because I, I'm sort of somebody who likes to come up with new ideas and be around others who come up with new ideas. And so I'm pretty confident that a lot of the ideas could potentially fail, and that's okay as long as the ones that succeed really succeed. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't think about that that often. Good then our loyal listeners will know that the question I always ask is the fears that you do have, right? Because you're not just immune to those. And so the fears sure. you do have, you've, how many of those fears have actually come true in your life to the magnitude that you put them in your brain to be? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, I'll tell you, and I've, I've shared this before, but I mean, my biggest fear in the world is uh, I, I have a massive phobia of flying. Uh, hmm. and, and I used to fly every week. You know, and I still fly a lot. Um, and I'm able to do it even though it adds a tremendous amount of stress to my life. Um, and so on the one hand, I'm really proud, actually, that I'm able to overcome the fear and do it regularly all the time. Um, on the other hand, it, it, it has impacted my life in a, in a pretty dramatic way in terms of the, the stress that it causes. Um, and so uh, it's, been, it's been an interesting uh, journey on that front. Well, we'll have to have a little off uh you know, off podcast conversation about that, how we can try to help each other because I haven't been on an airplane in, uh, I used to fly a lot on, you know, traveling my family and stuff and, and we had a bad airplane ride and I haven't been on one in two, over two years because same thing. I had terrible stress and anxiety when I fly. So now wow. you know, I, can, like I, can, the, I can help you. I can help you. I can help you. All right. Well, I need it. I need it. Um, all right. So let's have some fun here. So not that we're not already having fun, but let's have some more fun. The, I, I give you 10 million bucks. You cannot donate it because I know you're going to say that, that you, you impact the cancer world <laughs> even more, but you can't, you can't donate it and you cannot like in do normal traditional investments, pay off debt type stuff like that. What's Doug Ullman doing with 10 million bucks? Oh man. Um, when you say can't donate, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, the first, the first you can't thing just you know, write a check to swing for hope. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that popped into my mind would be trying to use it to pay pay for kids to go to college. Um, and I know that's like a donation, but I, I just I feel like people people's lives are so negatively impacted by by the fact that they will graduate from college if they have the opportunity to go to college with massive debt. And their whole life, the next 10, 20, 30 years, will be spent trying to pay off that debt. And, and I think that that's uh, going to be a bigger and bigger problem in our, in our society. So a few more questions here I just you know, want to spend some time on. is, is I've also heard that you have a, a real big strength in helping people find their mission and their vision. Um, what's that process like for you? I mean, when you work with your team, and so if you picture a man or woman driving their car right now, listen to you talking about this. What would you recommend they do with their teams to really take that business of theirs and take it to the next level by defining their mission and their vision? Well, I mean, I, I'd, I'd say that when you're talking about vision, again, I would, I would encourage people to think really beyond what they might think normally um, in terms of, you know, that vision should be bold and it should be very, very large and significant. And, and, and then when you get down to the mission, you know, the mission is sort of what do you do every day to try to get closer to making that vision a reality? And how do you, how do you hold yourself? How do you 
live and operate, you know, in a way that, that can get your organization closer to that, realizing that vision. So I think first and foremost is think big and think uh, beyond what, what you might have in the past. And, and that's a tough process because you have to allow yourself the time and space. You got to get out of the office. You got to shut off your email. You have to really spend time um, to, to get beyond. So I think that's, that's one thing. And then I think the other thing is really more simplistic and it's really start tracking where you're spending your time and where you want to be spending your time. And it sounds really simple and really basic, and I was talking to one of my colleagues about that this morning. Um, but most people, when I've done it personally, and I've made a pie chart of where I'm spending my time, and then I make another one of where I want to spend my time, they typically don't align. And I think that's where you can make the biggest impact, is, is if you have your vision and your mission, and you can align your time in ways that, that you want, you'll, you'll see much more progress in a, in a, in a quick fashion. So I'm, I'm writing that down. That's awesome. I've never heard that. The, the pie chart of where you want to spend your time versus what you do. So what's that process like? Do you grade yourself, if you will, like on a, on a Sunday night? Or, I mean, how do you how do you? Yeah. Do yeah. I mean, yeah, ideally, I mean, at the end of the day, you have a full work day. And at the end of the day, you just graph out and you say, hey, I spent whatever it is, 30% of my time doing email and 30% of my time in meetings and 30% of my time doing administrative stuff. And then you, you, you sit back and you go, wait, wait a minute, where do I want to spend my time? And most likely you're going to say, I want to spend at least a third of my time on the vision and the mission, or I want to spend a third of my time helping people, or I want to be external or, you know, whatever it might be. And, and I've never met somebody who, you know, did that exercise who didn't see huge opportunity for shifting their time management and their efficiencies towards things that would have a bigger impact on, on where they want to go. Yeah, that's a game changer. What, um, tell us about today. How can we send more people your way? So you're doing great things. And if I can mention this, this bike race, what's the name of the bike race you have coming up in August? Yeah, so, so Pelotonia is, it takes place, Pelotonia weekend takes place August 4th through 6th this year. And it's just become an unbelievable experience. It's really a, a weekend of camaraderie and community. And ultimately, it's a celebration of the thousands and thousands of people who raise money and awareness all year and then come together to celebrate in August. And so, Pelotonia, we're really fortunate that 100% of every dollar we raise goes directly to cancer research because six organizations underwrite our, our overhead. Um, and so oh whether you, whether, whether you're a donor, whether you're a rider who's raising money, whether you're a virtual rider, which means you raise money, but you don't actually come to Columbus and ride, whether you're a volunteer, you know, every piece of our community, every person in our community is so critical. And, and again, you know, we're just so humbled and grateful that, that, that thousands and tens of thousands and actually hundreds of thousands of people contribute to make, to make Pelotonia what it, what it's become. Yeah. And so what, what are your thoughts this year? How much, just to put this in perspective for people that thinking big, right? You think of a, I mean, I'm just mesmerized by this. You think of a bike race. Some people may be thinking, oh, it's a bike race. They're going to raise some money, right? And I ask right. this question, if you don't mind us talking about it. So I'm thinking, oh, they're going to raise, you know, like a million bucks or two million bucks or something. Right, right. And, and, then, and then Doug tells me there's going to be 8,000 riders, and they're going to raise in a three-day period $26 million to go to cancer. That is phenomenal. Yeah, the, the uh, generosity mean, and the passion of our riders and supporters is unparalleled. And, and again, we are just – we're just the conduit. I mean, we – we as an organization are just providing a platform for others to do what they're passionate about. And, and it's just, uh, it's so inspiring to see people participate because of their, 
passion for the cause, and, and that's driven the results. And it's uh, again, it's super, super humbling. So when you think about you, you, you told us earlier and to our listeners to live bold and have a huge vision. I mean, what's the vision uh, of your company and or your organization? What what are you guys trying to accomplish? What's the game changer for you all? Yeah, the real game changer is is technology, and the game changer is trying to create something, and we're working on it now, that would allow anyone in the world the opportunity to participate year-round in Pelotonia by simply riding a bike, whether it's with their kids, whether it's on the way to the park, whether it's commuting to work, or whether it's riding 50 or 100 miles. The act of riding a bike and tying that to uh, eradicating cancer is, is our ultimate goal. Well, maybe we can uh, do a little joint venture and bring that to the St. Louis area. We'd love to help. Um, Absolutely. So when you look at your life, uh, are you are you shocked by your success? Or are you uh, are you surprised by it, or did you envision it? I am constantly reminded of how fortunate I am, um, and 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 the opportunities that I've had. And frankly, I don't think of it in those terms. I mean, you know, we 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 as a community of 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 advocates and survivors have been able to do some great things and yet it's never enough. And so um, if we've had success in the past, it, it, it hopefully will be dwarfed by what we'll achieve in the future. And, um, and again, it, I'm just one small piece of, of a huge team at Pelotonia and huge teams in my previous roles where, where those individuals are making, uh, are making things happen. And, and again, I, I don't deserve nor need uh, credit for, for any of it. So when you think about your life, it's about creating experiences and you get these kids and your wife. And, and when you think about it, what's on the top of your bucket list? What's that experience out there? You say, man, if I could do this, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> well, um, that's a good question. I, I try to pick things regularly that I think I'm going to be really bad at and I try to sort of see if I can learn. And so um, I actually, in about 10 days, I'm, I'm turning 40 years old. And I decided that I'm going to go to surf camp uh, and try to learn how to surf, uh, which I hear is very hard and I think for me is going to be very challenging. But I, I sort of want to – I just want to, again, be outside of my comfort zone uh, and, and, and try to learn something new. That's cool. Where are you doing that at, like California somewhere? Or? Uh, no, we're going to go on a vacation down uh, down in the Caribbean. Oh, nice. Um, very nice. And, uh, and so, you know, we'll we'll see if it works. But But, you know, I think all in all – I think the I think life is about experiences and and again having had kids my wife and I talk a lot about the experiences that we've been fortunate enough to enjoy and 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 sort of how do you provide that educational those educational experiences for your kids whether it's traveling or whether it's meeting people or whether it's you know doing those sorts of things um you know I think it's really 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 important and uh they may not understand it at this age but in, in, in a few years, they'll look back and say, oh, wow, I, I remember that, that journey. Well, 1977 is a good year then. You got me by about five and a half months. I turned the big 4-0 <laughs> in November. And my wife just nice. turned the big 4-0 in April. So That's year. awesome. Well, congrats. Yeah, yeah, you too. Congrats. Like, we're getting there, right? We're, we're, getting, we're, getting, we're getting older. Uh, well, man, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on The Surge of Success. And uh, where can our listeners find more of Doug Ullman, social media, website for your organization? Where can we find more of you. Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to www.pelotonia.org. It's P-E-L-O-T-O-N-I-A dot O-R-G. Um, and then, uh, you know, on Twitter at Doug Ullman or Instagram at Doug Ullman or Facebook. And would love to connect with anyone. And, and most importantly, if anyone listening has 
a family member or a loved one with, with cancer who's in need of help, please let us know, and, and we'd be happy to, to help connect them with resources and get them uh, the care and treatment they need. Absolutely. Well, we'll put in the show notes uh, where people can find you and, and how they can reach out to get help. Uh, no matter what organization you're helping with cancer, it's all one big family. So absolutely appreciate everybody that's out there helping. So, man, Doug, it's been a blast having you, and uh, thanks for being on the Circuit of Success. Thanks so much. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.